Today, I am glad to be joined by Todd Swanstrom, professor at the University of Missouri, St. Louis, popularly known as UMSL. Uh, Todd is with us today in an ongoing conversation that we are having this year uh, surrounding questions of housing. Uh, Todd and I have talked before about some issues around um, housing and, and justice and University City, and so we're really glad to have Todd with us. He's going to be talking about gentrification as a broad idea and specifically in St. Louis. So Todd, good to have you. I'm going to go into the background and run slides for you. And toward the end, I'll pop back in and, uh, and ask a couple questions and then remind you about their opportunity to get together with you. So thanks so much for being here. Well, thank you, Mike. And thank you for the invitation. I'm, I'm, um, very honored to be asked to speak to you and that you have such an active congregation. I, I um, listened to one of the past presentations about housing and racial justice and was very impressed by it. I'm not sure if I can live up to that standard, but I'll, I'll, I'll try my best. Um, and uh, hopefully we'll have a chance to have a conversation because this is, this is a, a big topic with, which is um, fraught with all kinds of issues. As you can see, my title is Gentrification and its Discontents. Um, with, um, you know, apologies to Sigmund Freud, right, who wrote a book called Civilization and Its Discontents. There's a lot of um, controversy around the, the idea of gentrification. So my thinking on gentrification started um, many, many years ago. I came to St. Louis in 2001 and accepted a job at St. Louis University in the <clears throat> Department of Urban Planning and Real Estate Development. It's teaching students in planning. Uh, and before I came to St. Louis, I learned that St. Louis was one of the uh, most shrinking cities in the world. If you move to the next slide, Mike, you can see here that St. Louis, believe it or not, is the number one shrinking city in the world, according to one study of 70 plus shrinking cities. That is cities that have lost population from their peak to their trough. You can see here that St. Louis lost 61% of its population. And it's, it's almost impossible to believe, right? The magnitude of this population loss. So when I came to St. Louis, I was aware, oh my goodness, this is a city that's you know, really having a lot of rough times. Uh, and I got here and after I'd spent a few years here, I went around exploring different neighborhoods around SLU and, the near south side and the central corridor and all of this. And I found out that a few of the neighborhoods were actually experiencing reinvestment and, and repopulation. So I would say this to the students, um, you know, get kind of excited and then say, boy, the city has lost a lot of population, but here are some neighborhoods that are, that really seem to um, uh, make me a little more optimistic. They're, they're beginning to turn around. Uh, and invariably the response of the students was, Yes, but professor, that's gentrification. Um, <clears throat> as if to say, you know, conversation over, right? This is not good because this is just going to drive up rents. It's going to push people out. It's a negative process, this process of neighborhood revitalization. It's a little bit like as a professor, I was a little naive and I didn't really understand 
you know, what was really going on in these neighborhoods. It was, um, uh, you know, uh, I was nonplussed you know, when, when students would say this. I wasn't quite sure, sure how to respond because obviously there's something to it. On the other hand, um, it seemed like St. Louis needed uh, some gentrification if that meant, you know, middle-class people reinvesting in the neighborhoods. Um, so I've been mulling over this gentrification issue ever since and trying to figure it out. Um, recently, it's become more personal, I guess you could say. We sold our house in University City. We lived right near the corner there of uh, Del Mar and Midland and sold our house when the kids went, uh, graduated from college and moved into a condo here on the center west end. So I guess a lot of people would say that we're gentrifiers ourselves. So what I'm going to talk about today uh, is, you know, define gentrification. What do we mean when we use the term gentrification, how do these, this idea of gentrification fit or not fit the facts in St. Louis? What does it look like um, in St. Louis? And then talk about how um, we talk about gentrification and the issue that's raised by the language we use to discuss this phenomenon. And finally, talk about what we can do, what we should do uh, given um, our understanding of gentrification. What does this mean for action in terms of public policies or civic organizations like your own church? Uh, what should we do? So uh, the term gentrification goes way back to 1964. Next, next slide, Mike. This is a quote from the originator of the term for gentrification, Ruth Glass, uh, in 1964. That's more than a half century ago, right? Quote, one by one, many of the working class quarters in the city of London, she's referring to, have been invaded by the middle class. Once this process of, and here's the term, gentrification starts in a district, it goes on rapidly <clears throat> until all or most of the working class occupiers are displaced. Um, so she invented this term gentrification, which of course harkens back to the British gentry and little did she know that this term would just take off, right? It's not very often that obscure academics invent terms, and then a half century later, it's a term that is appearing in almost every language and is appearing with increasing rapidity uh, within the, um, the scholarly uh, discourse about neighborhoods and cities. Uh, over time, the term has taken on a life of its own. It's now applied not just to neighborhoods, but to lifestyles, consumption patterns, retail choices, dress, aesthetic sensibilities, and even food. A friend of mine showed me a reference to the, the gentrification of gefilte fish. So if it can be applied to just about anything, um, but we can see this with regard to food. Next slide, Mike. You know, we know a neighborhood is becoming gentrified when breakfast is replaced by brunch. We can see it with restaurants, next slide. We know that uh, a neighborhood is gentrifying when, when ethnic restaurants are replaced by trendy restaurants, which charge a lot more for probably the same food. Next slide, retail, uh, when Goodwill is replaced by vintage clothing. Um, next slide, art, when graffiti is replaced by street art. And finally, pets, when normal-sized dogs are replaced by purse-sized dogs. Uh, obviously, I have a bit of tongue-in-cheek here with this. But I think we sort of know that there's, uh, when gentrification is occurring, right? There's a change in a lot of things, uh, not just in, um, uh, in, uh, in one thing. So it really suffuses our understanding. The conventional idea of gentrification, drawing upon Ruth Glass's original idea, 
is, you know, it's driven by deep economic forces. You have this economic restructuring of cities from manufacturing employment to the new knowledge industries, uh, and that's driving changes in neighborhood patterns. Uh, <clears throat> the idea of gentrification looks pretty much the same across different cities. In other words, this is a global phenomenon, and a lot of people will talk about that gentrification is something that's taking place all across the globe in neighborhoods and cities all over the place. Um, it leads inevitably to rising rents and displacement of longtime residents. This is what Ruth Glass said in her original definition. And um, that's very common in the sort of conventional discussion of gentrification, right? That it drives up rents and displaces longtime residents. And that it benefits whites at the expense of blacks or other minorities. That it displaces uh, longtime African-American residents of, of the area. So we see a lot of this um, you know, in St. Louis, there's a lot of evidence that this conventional idea of gentrification, in fact, is occurring in, in St. Louis, right? We have um, you know, a total change in our economy in St. Louis. For example, the city of St. Louis, manufacturing jobs fell from almost 132,000 in 1967 to only 11,800 in 2012. So you had the loss of well over 100,000 jobs manufacturing jobs just in the city of St. Louis. At the same time, we've had the growth of a new, what you might call knowledge economy, right? In the, in the central corridor. Next slide, Mike. <clears throat> Here is a map of the city of St. Louis. If you can follow that, there's the Mississippi River on the right. And that line coming down there is, is the border of the city of St. Louis. You can see where University City is there. Yeah, Mike's got his cursor, University City. The shaded, the lightly shaded area is what we call the central corridor, which is where we've seen a significant growth in these knowledge-based uh, sectors, sometimes eds and meds it's referred to. Um, <clears throat> so in the city of St. Louis, we've seen a huge increase in young people with college degrees and above living in these neighborhoods in the central corridor and down on the south side there. The percentage of adults with, with bachelor's degree or higher went from 10% in 1980 to 34% in 2017. You can stay on that, that same slide back there. Yeah, there we go. Um, and um, uh, so we've seen a, um, a tremendous growth in these uh, central corridor jobs. Um, the largest employers in the city of St. Louis are Washington University, which has over 17,000 employees. And of course, in University City, we know about that, right? Uh, BJC has almost 15,000 employees in the city. SLU has about 10,000. And so these are these eds and meds. You have the growth of Cortex in that central corridor, uh, the biotech initiative. You have MGA and, uh, just north of the central corridor. So we have uh, a lot of evidence of, you know, the forces driving gentrification. Uh, the next slide, Mike. <clears throat> Here is a study we did. Got to go back one now, Mike. To, the, to that map with those colored, there, oh, there, that's right. This is rebound neighborhoods that were, neighborhoods that sort of come back. This is a pretty complex map, so I'm not gonna go over all the detail of it, but if you see those sort of dark green census tracts in the middle there, you can, hopefully you can sort of see the city of St. Louis. It's a little hard to detect on a slide like this, but the Mississippi River once again swings through the right there. And, and you can see the green neighborhoods in the middle are in the central corridor. So those are the neighborhoods that are in the upper half on a series of three characteristics of strength and are getting better. So you can see the neighborhoods 
that are gentrifying, if you want to say, are those green neighborhoods in the middle. Those blue neighborhoods at the top are the neighborhoods that are going downhill, right, that are in the bottom half and going downhill. And the yellow neighborhoods are in the bottom half and stable. But this is a classic pattern, right, that the central corridor is seeing this increase. Next slide, Mike. Here we can look in more detail at the central corridor in the city of St. Louis, and we can look at those neighborhoods like Shaw, like um, Botanical Heights, all these neighborhoods just south of the central corridor, which are experiencing a tremendous increase in the number of young, educated professionals who are choosing to live in the city. The millennial generation is interested in city living. Young people are moving into these neighborhoods. Um, they are where gentrification is occurring in St. Louis. We can also say that housing affordability is definitely an issue in St. Louis. There's no doubt about this. Um, the median renter in St. Louis pays more than 30% of their income in rent, and that's generally considered the cutoff. So the typical renter is already rent burdened, if you will, right? You know, housing cost burdened. But clearly, there are many people, especially African American, um, very low income people who are paying much more than 30%, are paying 40, 50, and 60% of their income on rent, which of course raises all sorts of concerns about gentrification, right? That it's driving up rents and pushing people out of their homes. So we have all the conventional elements of gentrification in St. Louis, right? We have uh, growth of these new, new workers in the knowledge economy, highly educated workers who are interested in living in the city, who are moving into these neighborhoods in the central corridor on the south side, and, uh, and um, rents are increasing, and we have uh, an issue here. When we look on the ground um, in these neighborhoods, however, if we look at what's going on in these gentrifying neighborhoods, next, next slide, Mike, here is uh, the change in four neighborhoods and then the change for the average neighborhood in the city of St. Louis. I think there are 79 neighborhoods in the city of St. Louis. Um, but you can see, I picked four of them that are gentrifying, classic gentrifying neighborhoods, Benton Park, downtown West, which is downtown along Washington Park, just kind of west of downtown. Fox Park, which is, you know, Jefferson, just um, Jefferson Avenue, uh, just south of the Central Corridor, and Shaw. And so what you see in these neighborhoods is tremendous variation in terms of the change in the median home value, the change in the median rent, um, the change in the number of rental units, and the population change, right? In some of these, uh, in downtown West, uh, downtown, so my point I'm trying to make here is that gentrification looks different in different neighborhoods. Um, in downtown West, uh, most of this housing was built in abandoned shoe factories. It did not um, rehabilitate older housing, right? So it's not surprising that the population is up. You can see between 2000 and 2017, this neighborhood saw an increase in population of 2000, almost 2,300. Uh, the black population also went up. So obviously in this case, this is not a displacement of African-American population, but actually an increase of population in a classically gentrified neighborhood. The median home value went up, but of course that, that number is pretty, pretty strong, but of course it may be from a very low base, right? Because many of these um, units didn't exist before 2000. It's mostly occurred since 2000. The median rent has gone up by $332. But once again, that's not driving up the rent in existing units. Those are, for the most part, new rental units. As you can see, there are over a thousand new rental units. So that's downtown West. That's what um, we scholars call 
new build gentrification, right? You're building from scratch in areas that did not have population. But then if you look at, oh, let's take a look, for example, at um, Shaw. Shaw has actually seen a decline in population, a rather significant decline in black population. The median home value went up about $71,000 during that period, which is a significant gain. And that's inflation adjusted, by the way. So those are real dollars. And the median rent went up by $127 dollars on average per month. So this looks like more the conventional view of gentrification, right? Rents are going up, black people are, are being pushed out, and uh, you have a classic gentrifying neighborhood. But let me point out one thing here, which is that in all the neighborhoods in the city, the rent went up on average across these many, many neighborhoods, $80 a month. So the increase in Shaw due to gentrification, that is neighborhood level forces in Shaw, is only $47 a month over a 17 year period, not a significant increase depending on how you look at it, right? But maybe $3 a year or whatever. Sure, rents are going up compared to other neighborhoods, but not that great. And then let's take a quick look at Fox Park. Uh, in the case of Fox Park, you have a decline in population and a decline in black population. Um, but you can see here, the median home value went up significantly, but the median rent only went up by $33, which is actually less than the average for all the neighborhoods across the city, north side, south side, west side, everywhere. So what that means is rents in this gentrified neighborhood actually increased less than average, which is kind of puzzling. And my explanation for that is you have DeSales Housing Corporation in Fox Park, which owns 244 units of housing and it has kept the housing more affordable than it otherwise would be if it were in the private market. So it represents a kind of um, a kind of um, damper on increases in rents. Um, so um, next slide, Mike. So what about this issue of affordability, which is a serious issue, as I said, we got a problem in St. Louis that people are paying too much for housing. Um, <clears throat> the rents have increased uh, in the city as I said, the median renter pays more than 30% of their income on rent, which is a sign of, of um, a rent burden. But this affordability problem is not mostly due to gentrification. Um, after taking the citywide rent increases, as I said, into effect, the gentrified neighborhoods uh, have rent increases that are small or almost non-existent. Um, <clears throat> but renters' median income during this period actually declined by 7.5%. So what you have is the affordability problem is as much about jobs as it is about housing. In other words, we have, people are not paid enough for jobs to be able to afford housing. And that's what's driving the affordability problem as much, if not more than any forces uh, of gentrification. Um, <clears throat> so, um, what, next slide, Mike. Here is the, another issue I'd like to raise about gentrification. Uh, you remember if in the conventional view, gentrification um, displaced longtime African-American uh, households and low-income households from neighborhoods. But one of the oddities in St. Louis is the most racially and economically diverse neighborhoods in St. Louis are gentrifying neighborhoods. Um, so you can see there in the uh, blue are mixed income neighborhoods, in the yellow, are racially diverse neighborhoods, and the green is the only one neighborhood, which I think, which I think is um, 
I think that's Tower Grove uh, East, I think, uh, is both racially and economically diverse, according to this um, author's analysis. So it's rather odd that the, the conventional definition would say that gentrification is a form of, of, of kind of white displacement. Um, but, you know, by the way, when we looked at the other neighborhoods that were gentrifying, we saw that the black population was down in many of these neighborhoods. Now, one of the problems here is this displacement or is this replacement. What you have is young people moving into these neighborhoods, often white, educated professionals, and African-Americans moving in the normal course of things, but they're replaced by a different population. So it's not so much displacement as replacement, and there's some evidence that that is what's going on in a lot of these neighborhoods. I'm not denying that there are rent increases and they may force some people out, but it's not the main story in these neighborhoods. Um, so uh, next slide, Mike. So what's going on in St. Louis is sure, we have gentrification, um, but it's relatively weak. And most of the knowledge workers who work in the central corridor live in the suburbs. Only 25% of the jobs in the city of St. Louis are held by city residents. And that percentage has fallen. So that means that even though we have new knowledge economy in the city, we have eds and meds, we have hospitals, we have universities, we have Cortex, we have NGA, we have all these new, new knowledge economy, but most of them are living in the suburbs. In fact, 74% of the jobs in the central quarter are held by suburbanites. So most of the gentrification pressures are leaking out to the suburbs and most places in the city are seeing declines in assessed value, uh, declines in property values, not increases according to gentrification. Next slide, Mike. So I would argue that decline is a more serious problem in St. Louis than gentrification. No neighborhood north of the Del Mar Divide, you, you all are probably familiar with the famous Del Mar Divide, which is the historic um, dividing line, uh, which was enforced by Jim Crow policies earlier in the 20th century between black and white St. Louis. Gentrification did not, has, does not uh, target these neighborhoods. As the conventional account would suggest, right, that you have gentrifiers moving into poor neighborhoods. Gentrification has mostly occurred in neighborhoods that are already pretty strong. Um, there's been more displacement from disinvestment and decline than from reinvestment and revival. And this final one is the statistic I always get blown away by. 17 times as many people in St. Louis live in neighborhoods that went from low poverty to high poverty than the reverse. The reverse is what we would think of as gentrification, right? That you have a high poverty neighborhood that was invaded by gentrifiers who pushed out the low income people. So clearly what's going on here for the most part is uh, decline, not gentrification. Next slide, Mike. Well, to look into these issues, we uh, here in um, at the University of St. Louis, we looked into um, uh, we looked into um, uh, people's perceptions of gentrification. So we did a series of focus groups and um, on uh, gentrification and. Um, I seem to be missing one of my, ah, here it is, here we go. Um, we did a series of focus groups in which we interviewed people uh, and asked them to talk about gentrification. So the first thing we did is we said, um, when you hear the word gentrification, what do you think of? Here's what we found in a series of focus groups in the city of St. Louis. And um, you can see most of their associations with gentrification are negative. 
not surprisingly, right? And you really have a um, um, a um, um, negative view that gentrification represents, and I think we can all understand people being forced out, people being priced out, a loss of history, exclusion, right? Uh, that it reinforces the racial divide, that um, it's a form of exploitation, all these sorts of negative connotations with the term gentrification, not surprisingly. Um, <clears throat> so um, people use terms like whitewashing and, and whiteness, um, uh, uh, the erasure of culture uh, and the loss of culture. Um, so, and when we ask respondents to talk about gentrification, they framed the term as a zero sum process, right? In which newcomers invaded a neighborhood, benefiting themselves at the expense of longtime residents. <clears throat> they talked about how suddenly the police were more responsive after gentrification than before. Suddenly the white residents could call the police and they responded, whereas before they didn't. We also asked the participants in these focus groups to go to a map and identify gentrifying neighborhoods. What we found is they identified a series of neighborhoods in North St. Louis, which generally are experiencing high levels of abandonment and decline and said that they were targets for gentrification and would gentrify in the near future. Um, <clears throat> it soon became clear that focus group participants viewed neighbor <clears throat> neighborhood gentrification and decline as intimately connected. In other words, neighborhood decline was a precursor to gentrification. Um, <clears throat> so how do we make sense of these perceptions of gentrification if, as I just argued, most of the neighborhoods in North City, far from experiencing gentrification, are experiencing something like the opposite, which is um, a disinvestment and decline. Uh, I believe that gentrification expresses people's fears about widening inequality in the modern American city, about the economic, political, and cultural marginalization of low-income minority and immigrant populations, Above all, it expresses powerlessness. People feel powerless. And criticizing gentrification, expressing those fears is one way to cope with those anxieties. Lower income residents of the city, especially African-Americans, remember how urban renewal and highway building forcibly displaced thousands of families from their neighborhoods. They remember this history, this collective memory shapes present perceptions. So they are acutely aware of this we need to acknowledge people's fears about gentrification. And I'm sure in, gen in University City, there is concern about gentrification in the Third Ward. I know that. Um, uh, and, you know, we need to acknowledge those fears are real. No wonder people feel uh, these fears because there's a real history of this, right? And there's a real sense of powerlessness. Um, <clears throat> so what we've done at, um, at, at uh, the Community Innovation and Action Center and other people I work with is to conduct forums in which we allow people and enable people to express their fears about gentrification. We did this in the West End neighborhood. And then pivot as quickly as possible to um, an inclusive conversation about neighborhood change. Gentrification, once the term gentrification gets out there, it polarizes public opinion into winners and losers, and, and it really sort of paralyzes the debate. And my great fear is that as we try to revive neighborhoods, we can't win, right? Because if you revive the neighborhood, you will be accused of gentrifying it. And obviously that's um, win-lose, not win-win. Um, so we need to acknowledge people's fears about gentrification and talk about how we can do inclusive neighborhoods, neighborhood development. 
We should not slow down the gentrification process, but leverage it for the benefit of all residents. That is, we want middle-class people moving back into the city. We want people to reinvest in the neighborhoods, but we want to make sure that people who live there are not displaced, and we can do that through nonprofit-owned housing, through inclusive zoning, inclusionary zoning, through TIF, TIF policies that are devoted to affordable housing. And the final point I would make is if we can experience more uh, uplift and more reinvestment in our neighborhoods, we can also, of course, have progressive taxation, which can be used to fund better schools, better parks, better streets, and all of the things that we enjoy. So what should we do now? Next, last slide. Don't get hung up on gentrification. Uh, that is to say, don't feel guilty. If you're moving into a neighborhood, trying to fix up a house, you're not the problem. Be part of the solution. Work for inclusionary development. Be aware of the power of language, that the term gentrification, I think, is a problem. We have 50 words for the Eskimos apparently have 50 words for snow, but apparently we only have one word for uh, economically ascending neighborhoods. And that word, I think, is um, uh, problematic and polarizes and paralyzes the discussion. And finally, of course, be an advocate for inclusive development. Let me stop there, Mike. You had to learn about how all these different things work. Thanks so much for your presentation. And we are going to do an audio version of this in addition to the video version of this. So if it's all right with you, we'll make the slides available to folks if they want to listen and click through. Um, I it I find this conversation fascinating, partly because I'm a Shaw resident in the city. And so you're picking my, my neighborhood quite a bit. And because I moved here from Washington, D.C., which arguably is a pretty different economic environment um, in terms of uh, these neighbor, these narratives are all sort of supercharged there. Uh, but one of the things that you said toward the end um, really interests me in terms of TIF. Um, could you talk a little bit more about um, how TIFs could be used to maintain economic diversity within uh, redeveloping neighborhoods? Yes, uh, TIF refers to tax increment financing, which means that if you develop or rehabilitate, you know, housing, you um, the increment, the new property taxes that you would pay because you now have improved the property values, would not go to the city's coffers, right? They would go to a special fund, and in the case of St. Louis, this money is used to pay for parking garages and entrance ramps and other such things for shopping malls and other such things. But you could use the TIF revenues to fund affordable housing. Mm -hmm. What's nice about using TIFs is that the developer will be paying the regular taxes they always would have paid, right? Uh, but it will now go to fund affordable housing in that neighborhood, right? Uh, and, and Portland, Oregon has done this. Um, and the nice thing about this, once again, is it doesn't slow down the process. It leverages the process for affordable housing, right? Um, so instead of trying to stop gentrification, which is what I have a problem with in St. Louis, we need some gentrification. Well, we need the right kind of gentrification. Yeah, right? yeah. But um, we could use those TIF monies to, to, to um, guarantee affordable housing, to help uh, community development corporations purchase housing, to make it perpetually affordable, uh, to fund um, the construction of new affordable housing. Um, you know, it could, it could help. Um, uh, guarantee that the people who live there now will not be pushed out if we can set aside a number of affordable units. And once again, the reason why I, I, I use TIF, um, you know, is it, it wouldn't slow down the process because the developer is still going to pay the property taxes they would have paid anyway. 
but now it's going to go to uh, to really um, guarantee affordable housing for long-time residents of the community. Yeah, it, it, my experience with TIFs, though, it takes quite a bit of community engagement for that not to, I mean, the way TIFs tend to get talked about in our region are like the big TIF that's going to Costco um, mm-hmm. and the developer that's going to redevelop that whole section of the third ward. Uh, and so it became this big embattled conversation about who should be getting that revenue and how and any conversation about affordable housing was happening way off on the side. And so maintaining economic diversity and maintaining affordable housing in the neighborhood as a use of a TIF seems to me like a way that city leaders and residents could come together, but it would take quite a bit of resident attention to make that happen. You're absolutely right, Mike. I mean, I think that uh, that, that, that project is quite controversial, but in St. Louis, we TIF sales tax revenue. Yeah. So we're addicted to sales tax revenue. Our municipal governments are, and there is a... Um, uh, uh, internecine competition, right? A bigger thy neighbor competition for these sales tax dollars. And it raises all sorts of problems, right? With you know, moving a Walmart or a Costco down the, down the block from one municipality to another. Um, but I think um, the key here is that, you know, growth is good if we have the confidence that we have the political will to, to regulate that growth and leverage that growth for our our benefit, for the benefit of the entire population, and not just the gentrifiers, right, or the new people. And I think you know, in Shaw neighborhood, there are a lot of people who are trying to do that. You know, you got some good good things going on. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's an interesting place to live for sure. Um, and I do I hear what you're saying in terms of St. Louis is a place where we I think we think about gentrification maybe a bit more than we experience it. Uh, but it, it is a fascinating place to be in the midst of, and it is good to be part of a conversation that people really care about this happening. So yeah, if yeah. you want to join in that conversation, uh, Todd will be with us on Sunday morning at 1130 uh, as part of our virtual coffee hour. We sometimes call it the just online hang after virtual church. Uh, that's 1130 in the morning. The Zoom information will be in the description of this video everywhere it posts and in your email if you're on our email list. Uh, so, Todd, let me say thank you. A really fascinating conversation, and we look forward to talking with you some more on Sunday. See you on Sunday, Mike. All right. Okay, bye-bye.